Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm here today with Bayon Takizawa. He's the Chief Business Officer at Continuous Pharmaceuticals. Bayon, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's an excellent opportunity. Yeah, excited to have you. So, Bayon, why don't you start and tell us a little bit about yourself? All right, excellent. Again, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I started off as a chemical engineering college, got my bachelor's in, uh, in that uh, field. Uh, but then afterwards, went to medical school and did some residency training in general surgery and neurology. Ultimately decided that clinical medicine was not for me. Uh, and so I left residency, went to work at a small investment healthcare investment firm in New York, uh, and did that for a couple of years uh, before going to MIT and enrolling in a joint uh, degree program called the Leaders for Global Operations. And it's a joint MBA engineering. So I got an MBA as well as a master's in engineering systems. And during that time, I uh, was asked to win the Novartis MIT Center for Continuous Manufacturing uh, was happening. Now, I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Uh, but shortly after MIT, I joined a healthcare consulting firm called the Chartist Group, focusing more on healthcare operations. So working with hospitals and healthcare systems. So a variety of different uh, things, but all centered in the life sciences. Interesting. It sounds like you've had, you know, an, an interesting path kind of leading to you, leading you to where you are now. Yes, definitely. And uh, very different uh, aspects of uh, in the life sciences. Uh, but I think it, it's all been very beneficial. That life had no regrets. Yeah, that's fantastic. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, continuous pharmaceuticals and the problem that you're trying to solve. Sure. So as I alluded to just now, continuous pharmaceuticals is a spin out from MIT, more specifically at the Novartis MIT Center for Continuous Manufacturing. And this was a $65 million joint research endeavor uh, between MIT and Novartis. And there were other stakeholders involved, including uh, the U.S. and our FDA. It's important to note that this was a very innovative uh, white paper uh, uh, type project, not an incremental improvement project, really to develop the best way or method to produce small molecule drugs. Uh, so not looking at existing pharma technology, but looking really at how other industries have evolved their manufacturing practices and seeing what technologies are available. And so that was really the premise or objective of the Novartis MIT Center. It was a very successful project uh, they uh, ultimately developed a, a process that we call, or to be a platform that we call Integrated Continuous Manufacturing, or ICM. And uh, a highlight of ICM is uh, that we were able to take a 200-day batch process, which is not unusual for the industry, and cut it down to just two days. So it was a pretty significant reduction uh, in lead time. I wouldn't call that incremental improvement. I would call that more of a, a paradigm step. And in addition to uh, the reduction in lead time, we were able to demonstrate a significant reduction in cost of goods, uh, in uh, environmental impact. Uh, there was also uh, an improvement in, uh, in, in quality as well. So these are all important things. So that 
and that's the basis of our company. Uh, and uh, just to provide a little bit of background, I'm not going to I'm going to try not to stray too far, uh, but the the problem that we're trying to solve, or the system that we're trying to replace, is a system called batch manufacturing. It's a uh, very outdated way of manufacturing method of manufacturing uh, that is probably over a century uh, over a century year old. So very um, outdated, uh, but it's pervasive throughout the pharmaceutical industry, uh, and that's problematic uh, because. Batch manufacturing is very time and cost inefficient, as I alluded to before, the 200 days not being unusual, but it also has quality problems. So uh, you have a lot of rework that's being done. Uh, in addition, the way batch manufacturing is done right now, uh, it's really fragmented. So after each step, you have an intermediate product that's stored, tested, and transported to the next step. And these steps are often performed by different companies operating in different countries. So it's a very long and fragmented process. There's often a lack of uh, coordination uh, between uh, the, among these companies. Uh, as I said before, a lot of rework gets done. There was a study that show, um, showed that approximately $50 billion a year is lost due to inefficiency, due to these inefficiencies. And we think it's actually more. So with ICM or integrated continuous manufacturing, we're going to move all of these, all the uh these start start stops and starts, excuse me, and we integrate everything into a single seamless line. And uh, so you uh, get rid of or uh, remove all that fragmentation. Uh, and we're able to uh, then have a much faster and manufacturing system uh, that allows us better control of the process and say it also enables better quality. And we think that this could be uh, really a, uh, a a technology that could solve a lot of the problems that we're encountering uh, today, for example, drug shortages and these quality issues that I talked about. With all of these benefits, why hasn't the pharmaceutical industry fully embraced the continuous manufacturing? That, that's, a, that's a very good question. I would say that there definitely is a, a change. So more and more companies are starting to uh, uh, initi initiate programs in continuous manufacturing. I'll just give a couple examples. One is a Sanofi, so they're Global Pharma. Uh, they recently uh, moved to uh, use continuous chemistry as the default for uh, when they develop small molecule traits. So that's, that's a nice step and we believe the right direction. Yurtex Pharmaceuticals, right here in our backyard at Boston, they have uh, a handful of drugs uh, that are approved that have significant continuous manufacturing uh, components. But the way these companies are doing this is a little bit different from what we're doing. They uh, are tar um, have more a more of a targeted approach, so they're looking to implement continuous manufacturing for part of that entire manufacturing chain. But as our strategy is really more broad to do continuous manufacturing from start to finish. That is to include both the manufacturing of the BPI or active pharmaceutical ingredient, as well as the drug formulation and put that all under one roof. You remove a lot of the inefficiencies, uh, the manual handoffs, places where there can be quality infractions, and also these steps, these stop and start steps that not only take time and cost money. So 
uh, there, there is a, a, a movement with, uh, within the industry. Uh, we've seen it throughout the years, whereas companies in the past that have not been interested in talking with us, they're now more, uh, much more interested in engaging with us uh, to varying degrees or looking at our uh, technology and, and, and how we approach manufacturing. So, uh, yeah, I think that there, there definitely have been, uh, uh, has, has been a, a movement toward continued manufacturing. I think the industry knows the challenges and limitations of batch manufacturing. Uh, I, I think there's still, uh, uh, you still have some work. Mm-hmm. What challenges has um, continuous pharma, you know, encountered in in this you know journey for them? Yeah, so uh, and we we've definitely uh, had our challenges. Uh, I would say one uh, is some of the challenges that we had first uh, with these all these companies that love me for pharma with their internal continuous manufacturing efforts. Sometimes it's hard to compete against uh, the challenges because they end up their own stakeholders, their own within the company and they'll have a different strategy uh, for example than than we may have as i mentioned uh, sometimes it's targeted versus what we uh, believe uh, will bring out uh, most of the value or the, the true value of continuous manufacturing so there's that component uh, another major uh, challenge is that there's ex- a lot of existing uh, batch infrastructure already out there uh, so there's this excess capacity that we have to compete with. Uh, when when we think about our manufacturing lines, we will have to build them out, uh, and so be more like a, a greenfield project. And so it's challenging to to compete against facilities that have already been built. And we'll talk maybe we'll talk a little bit uh, later about how govern the U.S. government can be involved there in terms of. Uh, some of the uh, the initial uh, projects or the the, the build out that would be, would be required. I think there are other uh, challenges as well uh, culturally. Uh, a lot a lot of uh, folks within manufacturing have been doing it uh, via the batch method uh, for set uh, for uh, decades, and so getting them to change how they manufacture uh, or how they do things is is difficult. And Along those lines, I would add that uh, the way companies are built, there there are a lot of silos, right? And so one of the, uh, as I mentioned, one of the things that we like to do is really think about the entire manufacturing process. But that's difficult with large pharma uh, who may have a specific group working on certain aspects of engineering or of the manufacturing process that don't communicate, you know, with their counterparts, for example, downstream. So. There have been some challenges, but as I mentioned, uh, more, we, we've seen more and more interest uh, in, in in our companies and companies, uh, the partners who were not interested in the past. And and I would say that we've also learned from uh, some of these challenges. So we've adopted some of our, our change or our business models. I'll just give a couple examples. The first one is that we, uh, in the past, have not uh, really been keen on selling specific Unit operations or technologies to companies, but rather uh, instead, what we were looking to provide more broader global solutions. Uh, but we've changed that. We realize that there there are a lot of companies with interest in, in some of our proprietary technologies, and we see those as entry points uh, for uh, perhaps a larger discussion. And the second thing I would say is that we we we're looking to partner now with other companies 
uh, that have some of the pieces that we don't have. For example, some of the commercialization experience and that distribution network. And in that way, we could advance our technology platform quicker uh, so that uh, a lot of the, I would say, technological risk uh, uh, that associated with a new technology like ours uh, can be mitigated sooner rather than later. Hmm. Ben, let's circle back to the point that you made about the implications for the government, because I think that's something that, you know, we should we should definitely, you know, dive into a little bit more. So talk to me about, you know, what the what government should consider when they're building advanced manufacturing capacity. And that's a great question, because that is uh, actually uh, something that the, the U.S. government is currently uh, looking at. Um, and uh, just as a side note, I, I would want to point out that we've been very uh, fortunate to receive uh, funding uh, from from the U.S. government. We received uh, uh, SBIR grants from the National Science Foundation, as well as funding from the U.S. FDA. And certainly, we're very grateful uh, for those opportunities. We think we did some great work with some great stakeholders on, on their side. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we recently had to terminate a project with the U.S. Department of Defense Theory, Health and Human Services. Uh, so that was very unfortunate. The project was to build out a commercial facility that could produce three generic drugs that are used in the treatment of COVID-19 and other uh, debilitating diseases. So that was the project that unfortunately uh, we terminated. And maybe it's in the context of that project that I could answer your question in terms of what we think uh, should be important considerations uh, from the from the government, and maybe uh, based on some of the lessons we learned. So, I would start off uh, first by saying that the mission uh, or the objective we believe is still critical. Although COVID nineteen uh, seems to have waned, uh, their uh, future pandemics are inevitable, and not only pandemics but natural disasters, maybe even political strife, but. Uh, cause on a on a more disruptions in our uh, very vulnerable uh, foreign dependent uh, pharmaceutical supply chain. So we see that the mission is still very important. Uh, I think that uh, yeah, we, we, we saw the exacerbation of certain drug shortages during that time, but that's always been a problem before COVID-19. There was a study uh, from the New England Journal where they surveyed over 200 oncologists who regularly need prescribed chemotherapy, on that over 80% of them have to change the way they prescribe chemotherapy because of a shortage. So these are American patients uh, who need their medications who are not getting them in, in a timely fashion. So again, the mission is, is very critical. The second uh, plan I would say is that uh, although these uh, are consideration is although these uh, projects uh, have, have a sense of urgency because of their nature, right? COVID nineteen is happening. We need uh, to uh, manufacture uh, domestically these critical drugs. These these projects are going to take time, and when you're implementing new technologies, uh, you can't really rush it. Uh, in, in, in a sense, uh, I think that the and with the DOD and HHS was rushed, and that probably contributed to uh, the, the unfortunate uh, termination. But really, I, I think uh, we have to think of more the, the long game and building out that, out that capacity that would not only be able to help us with COVID, hopefully, but also future pandemics. 
And, and the final point I would make is that with these uh, government initiatives, basically they're targeting, and in the case of the three drugs we selected, it was the case, drugs that are often going on shortage. So drugs that go on shortage usually are ones that are not economically attractive, right? There's a reason why they go on shortages uh, because they're cheap. And so when you think about how companies like ours will need to raise funds for the production of these drugs, it would be very useful to have uh, some sort of offtake for these drugs. And so that's where uh, I think that the U.S. government can also be very helpful as provided offtake for these drugs that commercially are not uh, very uh, attractive. So we're, uh, although the, the project was terminated, uh, we still believe in the mission and uh, we'll be waiting for the, the U.S. government or uh, we, you know, we'll probably proactively seek them out for other opportunities to develop this much needed you know, Ben, you talked a lot about the U.S. government, you know, in, in this. Are there other governments that are considering continuous manufacturing? Absolutely. Uh, we definitely know of efforts. For example, many companies from Asia, uh, we've spoken with uh, several Chinese companies, or Chinese-based companies, uh, and they have ongoing efforts on continuous manufacturing. I was just at a conference in South Korea, and... Uh, it was all about advanced manufacturing. Much of it was uh, continuous manufacturing. So I think everyone sees the value uh, and how batch manufacturing is really uh, not, uh, not not the, not the way of the future, right? We, we all have to uh, reduce our costs and become more, uh, have to develop more robust supply chains. So as we go to these conferences, uh, it is reinforced the importance of, of uh, advancing uh, the state of uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing. Uh, we just hope that the U.S. can continue, continue and continue to be a leader. You know, Ben, you started to talk a little bit about this, and I really want to drive this point home to our listeners. You know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, our, our listeners really understand how the adoption of continuous manufacturing will affect their everyday lives. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So that's really uh, the mission of the company and really uh, what we've been talking about and, and what ICM can do is really getting the drugs to Americans when they need it and at an affordable cost and with the assurance that they're the highest quality, that there's not going to be any issues with um, contamination, for example. So that's what we believe ICM can do. We can do that through... Uh, reshoring the manufacturing of critical uh, uh, drugs. We think that ICM would be ideal for this effort. It's fully automated, so it requires less personnel and personnel, personnel well, labor costs in the U.S. are expensive. It's uh, a lot more technical, and the uh, its environmental impact is much less than the corresponding batch process. So these are all elements that make it uh, ideal for any sort of reshoring effort in the factor. So, with that and with that implementation, in addition to getting the right drug at the right time, uh, we believe we could uh, reduce the number of shortages. Uh, as as I mentioned before, uh, and also bring very technical and robust jobs, manufacturing jobs, to the U.S. 
I would also add one other uh, point uh, with advanced manufacturing. If you uh, couple that with our drone discovery engine, which is uh, amazing in, in, in the U.S., we believe that we can really complement or even uh, improve upon those efforts. And so uh, improve drug discovery, be able to produce better drugs, accelerate time-wise, get drugs that are in development into patients quicker uh, than they are uh, right now. Uh, and so I think that these are all ways that Americans will benefit uh, from the implementation of not only ICM, but other advanced or continuous manufacturing efforts that I think that's fantastic. And I really appreciate you breaking that down, you know, so that the everyday listener can understand, you know, the the impact that, you know, that that uh, this has on, you know, every everyday Americans. So, you know, as we start to wrap up this conversation, what's what's the vision for continuous in the next 10 to 15 years? What's what's on the horizon? Well, we're, we're very optimistic. Uh, we've seen, as I mentioned, a shift uh, in interest or increase in interest in continuous manufacturing. Uh, I would say a major stakeholder uh, slash proponent has been uh, the US FDA, the, the main regulator, uh, even though they, they have to uh, maintain a non-biased uh, perspective, they really have been encouraging companies uh, to adopt advanced technologies uh, because they understand how we can improve patient access with uh, better manufacturing methods. And they've issued guidelines that would that mitigate this risk that provide uh, information to pharma companies on how to uh, adopt advanced manufacturing. Uh, and they've also uh, developed teams that help shepherd these new manufacturing processes when drugs submit, or say when companies submit their uh, drug applications. So very optimistic. Uh, we believe that continuous manufacturing is going to be more mainstream uh, with the, the uh, with drug development. I, I mentioned as an example Sanofi and how they're using uh, continuous synthesis as a, as a, as the default for new drug development. And we believe uh, if uh, companies like uh, Continuous uh, are are successful, we can uh, increase the number of new drugs, uh, small molecule drugs being developed uh, with continuous manufacturing, maybe. Uh, to 50%. We also think uh, in terms of the vision, um, being able to reduce the number of shortages, uh, uh, being able to uh, develop a more robust American pharmaceutical uh, supply chain, and uh, equally important, really uh, get better environmental stewardship uh, with this industry. And that, that's also uh, very important. So yeah, we're, we're very uh, hopeful uh, and uh, uh, you know, look forward to being a, a part of this effort. Ben, I think this has been an absolutely fantastic, very insightful conversation. I appreciate, you know, you diving into all the implications for the government, you know, different considerations to be had. I think this was very insightful and I really appreciate you being on Business Ninjas today. Again, thank you very much for the opportunity, Kelsey. Yeah, great to have you. Thank you. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.